This podcast is Challenging Opinions and is presented by William Campbell. Thank you for downloading the Challenging Opinions podcast for May 5th, 2017. Every Monday, I'll be bringing you brand new content, but for the next while, on Wednesdays and Fridays, I'm including previous interviews in this feed, like this one with Doug Payton, the presenter of the Consider This podcast, where we talked about the Electoral College before it became even more relevant in last November's election. Enjoy the interview. Challenging Opinions is the podcast where ideas are tested. Whether you are left or right, conservative or progressive, devout or skeptic, what matters is the strength of your argument, not the strength of your voice. On a Skype line now, I have Doug Payton. He is the presenter of the Consider This podcast. He's also the presenter of Person of Interest podcast on goldenspiralmedia.com. Doug, thank you for joining me. We agreed to talk about the Electoral College, which is very relevant this year in the presidential election. You think it's a good idea, am I right? I do. First of all, thanks so much for inviting me here. Um, I enjoy a good debate, and uh, I think this is going to be a good one. But yes, I think... The Electoral College uh, is a good idea. It was debated by the U.S.'s founding fathers um, as a method by which we would be more of a representative, representative uh, republic. Uh, and uh, actually, as in some of the history, it was created to uh, solve some issues with distances because they couldn't cover quite the distances back in the uh, 1700s. There mm-hmm. was issues with... Um, with communication, getting the word out back and forth. And so um, they wanted to make sure that uh, uh, that the states at the time, the, the, the people would have um, information as best they could, but through the through the states they would make their um, make their votes known. Okay, I should explain maybe for some people who are not entirely sure what it is. The American president is not elected by the American people. The American president is elected by this electoral college. And each state in the U.S. has a number of electoral college votes, and that ranges from three uh, up to about 58 or 56. And the way it's calculated is that it's equal to the number of uh, members of Congress that that state has. So some small states like uh, Wyoming or Vermont have only one congressperson, and every state has two senators, regardless of its size. So that means that Wyoming and Vermont have three members of Congress and therefore three votes in the Electoral College. And states like uh, California and Texas have uh, 50 or 60 uh, votes in that. The difficulty there, is, and well, the, the the as you say, the reason it was created was because even though the United States was much smaller when it was founded, it was still an enormous uh, area without modern communications, and it wouldn't have been possible to have an election across such a wide area. But isn't that problem essentially gone now? That's been solved by technology. We can talk on Skype around the world and uh, communicate very freely. So there's no real need for that, is there? Uh, that particular uh, issue, those particular issues, uh, yes, they've pretty much been uh, taken care of as far as 
um, it, just the communication. But I, but that wasn't the only uh, reason for having an electoral college. Um, mm-hmm. One of the reasons, too, was that this country was not founded as a direct democracy anyway. Uh, the idea here was to decentralize the, the power out from uh, D.C. or, you know, wherever the national <laughs> capital was at the time, uh, so that... Philadelphia, it, I think. Yes, Philadelphia at the, at, the, at the beginning. But uh, the idea was to decentralize that power, give people in Florida the the uh, the determination uh, for themselves to decide how they want to do things, how they want to run their government versus the people in Maine. They didn't... Uh, the, the concept of a one-size-fits-all um, legislature is, was okay in some cases, things like national defense, interstate commerce when you're going from one state to another. But in general, at the time, the states were very... Uh, very covetous, covetous of their own power. They wanted to keep their power. They wanted. They were independent-minded. They were independent-minded, and they had seen what happened when you have a king or a very strong central government, regardless of the fact that you know they had a, you know a parliamentary system in in England, but mm-hmm. even that was um, prone to uh, abuse by the fact that there was nobody else really to appeal to. Whereas with a uh, state system. Uh, then you know, United States, that we had a uh, a strong state government. Uh, mm-hmm. I think over the years that has become less and less um, of an, Well, that has become less and less desirable for some because they keep adding more and more power into D.C. and less in the states. But the idea here, in terms of a an election, is to say the states get to determine how they are going to. Um, to 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 choose the um, to choose the president. Now, there are you know the electoral system, of course, is a national system, but it keeps the states. Um, re- they are we are representative again. We have representatives that do our voting for us in Congress. We have mm-hmm. representatives that we vote for to get to 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 go to D.C. So in the same way, we have representatives that we vote for to. Cast votes for the uh, for the president, but that's not that's not strictly true, is it? People go and they vote either uh, for in the last election, either for Romney or Obama. Nobody voted because they knew the electoral college member and they thought that they could trust the electoral college member to make a wise choice when he made when he uh, went to or she went to the electoral college. Everybody voted either for. Romney or Obama, and the, the um, I would say that uh, not even one voter in a thousand would have known anything at all about their electoral college members. Yes, I mean, and, and then there's always every four years there's the complaint, you know, that we don't we don't need this electoral college thing, and that people I think understand that they, that it's there, but they only understand it every four years because they don't become an issue. Can I can I, can I say my my number one objection to the electoral college? Mm-hmm. And it is not necessarily true of all electoral colleges, but it's certainly true of the one for the US president. It is that in a democracy, all voters should be equal. And the skewing of the power of the voter in this is outrageous. And to put it in context, uh, if you live in California or Texas, 
your vote is worth less than one third of the value of a voter that lives in Vermont or Wyoming. Nobody can justify that, can they? Well, there's a couple of ways to come at that. First of all, um, as I said before, we are a representative republic, not a direct democracy. Mm -hmm. And the states were given the power to... uh, to individually govern themselves. Now, mm-hmm. if there are more people in one state than another, then, uh, you know, within the state, your, your vote is, just even within the state, your vote is worth less. It is a smaller percentage. Uh, a, a voter voting for state, um, state concerns, state issues, state, uh, uh, legislators and things like that is less than, uh, the one in California is less than the one in Vermont. The one in the larger congressional district is less than the one in the smaller congressional district. So there is all of that anyway, um, just because there are, you know, we don't have a equally, uh, equally, uh, dispersed population throughout the U.S. So that is going to happen no matter how you do it. And the way the state lines were drawn, uh, that is, you know, something that, um, that's that that's that's been done to history. That that's been taken care of there. So yes, no, but, but um, the, the, in, in a hold sense, on, hold on. The the vote, the weight of the vote of a Californian or a Texan is less than a third of the weight of a vote of somebody from Wyoming or Vermont. You could even keep the uh, the concept of an electoral college, but still give every voter's vote roughly equal weight. I'm not sure how that would work out, but yeah, I, 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 I don't really, I don't, I don't see the, the purpose of that though. For example, well, for, we for, have, for as democracy. you mentioned, well, again, but we're, we, a direct democracy is not where we are, and I don't think, uh, you know, some people seem to think that would be a good idea, but I'm not entirely sure. And the founding fathers, uh, did, the founding fathers saw what happened during the French Revolution, and that mm-hmm. was some serious direct democracy, and they really wanted to avoid that. Um, mm-hmm. So they wanted something that would, um, just in general, a government that would kind of mitigate something like that. And the Electoral College tends to stabilize uh, a government, uh, the government situation. For example, um, we have a system where if you are a minority, if you had a, if it was a direct democracy and everybody had the same vote, it was all just, you know, the numbers. There is a, a group out there called the... Um, uh, you mean like the popular vote? Yeah, the, 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 I forget what the name of the group is now. It's slipped my mind. Yeah, the National Popular Vote, something like that. National Popular mm-hmm. Interstate Compact. Yes. Um, and the idea is that everybody, you know, one person, one vote. But the idea, the, the problem was, is that one of the problems was that a candidate then would only have to appeal to the most, uh, people, especially in the case of when we have highly concentrated groups of people. So, a candidate. Isn't that true in every election? Um, you need to be the most popular person to win, usually. Well, yeah, I, I understand. That's, and, and in some cases, that's good. Some cases, not so good. Here's the thing. In, in the states, yes, uh, you got, the smaller the group, it, the, the less of uh, a problem it can be. But when you have a national election, and now that nowadays with 330-some million people, mm-hmm. um, I, I saw a graphic somebody posted, and they said, you see these little spots on the map? That's where 50% plus one of the people live. And it was mm-hmm. like, you know, 14% of the, not, not even that, of the uh, congressional delegation, uh, de- congressional mm-hmm. districts. So a 
presidential candidate would just have to go to those spots in a in a public uh, or in a uh, popular vote and mm-hmm. just go there and not care about anybody else's concerns. Well, that's not remotely plausible, is it? Because, sure, they might get a lot of votes out of very densely populated areas, but there's almost nowhere in the country that any party gets more than 60% of the vote. How, um, they would, uh, any candidate would be uh, foolish, it would be an idiot to uh, write off close to 50% of the population because they know that even if the 50% plus one that they were targeting uh, voted for them in enormous numbers. They would never vote for them 100%. Not necessarily, but the 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 the, uh, the percentages would be high enough that uh, they could not completely, this wouldn't be a, a complete thing, but they, wouldn't ha- they couldn't completely ignore the rest of the country, but they could pretty much do so. Let me tell you what the, the issue there especially is, is that most of those highly concentrated areas are Big cities in the big cities generally vote Democrat. So the Democrats love this idea of a popular vote because they have a, uh, a kind of a lockhold on, on, on most of the metropolitan areas in the country. Um, but the idea here is, is that you have. But do you mean by that that they have the most supporters? They have the most supporters in the smallest, smallest area, uh, in, in, in certain areas. That's true. Now, does that mean that, that those people should always run, you know, the people in New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, um, Sacramento, whatever, uh, should they be able to have all the power and the rest have none? And the idea of the Electoral College is it does spread it out. It requires a candidate not to have just the most uh, people vote for him or her, but also a wider distribution of people and interests. Because one of the things we, the phrase we have, uh, you hear a lot around here is, well, so-and-so is going to be a president for all the people. Well, mm-hmm. if that, if all the people is that. all the people, I mean, you, you can't be really the president for everyone, every, you know, there's competing interests, but you want the most people, the widest distribution of people and interests to support a president and when you have that, you have a more cohesive country uh, as a result of that. If you have strictly special in- – I mean, a popular vote would bring the special interests out in force because – I agree with your intention in that. I think you should have the broadest possible uh, support. That that's, that's, uh, um, goes without saying. But I don't think that the Electoral College achieves that because – for example, there's a whole slew of states which are regarded as being uh, in a lock to either the Democrats or the Republicans, and probably less than one-third of states will actually be competitive in any given uh, presidential election these days, which means that both candidates, both major candidates, Republicans and the Democrats, can safely completely ignore those states. That's hardly democratic, is it? Well, that isn't necessarily true. I mean, you look just back um, back to uh, Reagan, who uh, who wiped the uh, board all red uh, when he was uh, against Mondale, and then you look at the uh, go back and, and it was see more than thirty years ago. Well, I understand, but I, somebody was posting a list of the electoral. I saw this again. This is a little Facebook thing going around um, that the um, uh, of the electoral maps and how they went in each of those presidential. Um, uh, 
uh, elections. And, mm-hmm. you know, yes, there are some these days that are pretty reliably one way or the other. But, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, that could all change, you know. And we've had 200 of this uh, system, and it does keep changing. I mean, not on a dime. Uh, I don't think any uh, any kind of voting pattern changes quite that quickly. But, yeah, over 30 years uh, a lot of things have changed that haven't uh, that that thought were that were thought to be locks by uh, one well, party. Well, or the other. Let's let's take that for an example because in that election in 1984, one state didn't vote for Reagan. That was uh, Minnesota, Mondale's home state. Uh, indeed, yes. And um, but for example, California, an enormous state, the largest, the most populous state in the union, has not voted Republican in a presidential election since then. Nobody in the last, in recent presidential elections was campaigning in California. Nobody at all. Um, Romney didn't visit there, didn't have campaign ads, didn't uh, have anything running there. And neither did Obama because Romney knew that Obama would win and Obama knew that Obama would win. So they both said, we're not wasting any resources there. Isn't it true that those voters have essentially been uh, disenfranchised, or at least the perhaps 40% of Californians that are Republicans have been completely disenfranchised in terms of the presidential election? Well, in terms of uh, presidential uh, campaigning, I would think some people might say that's a good thing that they don't see as much of that. But anyway. Um, oh, but that, that's facetious. But but address the point. That, no, no, I, I understand. I just, uh, it's just that the... Um, the people of California, uh, especially in their state legislature, has pretty pretty much um, made their uh, views known. Now, there are other states where things go back and forth sure, a little sure, more but that's, frequently. That's because California is far more liberal, and even Republicans to get elected in state legislatures have to be far more liberal. So, uh, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was a long-term um, governor of California in most cases, would be far too liberal to get even a nomination in, in the, for the Republican Party in many states. He'd probably be too liberal for the Democratic Party in some states. But, but in presidential elections, Republicans in California, who are tens of millions of people, their votes are worth exactly zero. Their votes are they're, – they're, well, not exactly zero. Their, their votes are not – uh, enough to overcome the liberal bent of that uh, of that state, and mm-hmm. even if there was a popular vote, I I, I can't see. The, uh, I, I think the same thing would happen, and that's the thing with the uh, no. But if there was a popular vote, Doug, the one what would happen would be that California is a huge state, and people, uh, electoral candidates, would say. I want to campaign in California. I want to pay attention to the, and it's true of Texas as well, of Democrats in Texas in the reverse. Uh, both the Democratic and Republican candidates would say, I don't have to flip the whole state, but if I can move California by five or ten points in my direction, I still might not get a majority in that state, but that's a lot of votes and that might end up with me getting a, a majority of the, of the popular vote. And while that has, you know, a certain appeal to it, here's the thing. Of all the, uh, the elections that we've had in this country, only two, one in 1888 and one in 2000. I uh, think there were three. But nevertheless, go ahead. Okay. I interrupted. Then three, whatever. But the, the, the amount, the number of times that has happened 
is uh, vanishingly small. Not, you know, it, it's less than a uh, you know one. It's one or two percent, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. And the idea here again is that in those cases, the uh, in the 1888 one, for example, I was reading the mm-hmm. one one candidate, and I don't recall the names now, but the one candidate had m- more popular uh, appeal in certain high population areas, but the mm-hmm. other one had. Just you know, uh, just a, um, you know enough to get the electoral votes of the state. You know, more than half in a lot of mm-hmm. different places to the point that he uh, he got the, uh, the 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 vote because um, because he appealed to a broader um, a broader group of people. And and I think we've agreed that it's it's uh, popular is good, but, but broader, but broader is just as good. It, 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 well, well, broader but smaller group of people. Um, it, reading here uh, from Wikipedia, the elections of 1876, 1888 and 2000 produced an electoral college winner who did not receive at least a plurality of the nationwide popular vote. So that's three occasions when the person who came second in the popular vote became president. I, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure you could say a plur- they didn't get a plurality. A plurality is just the most among whoever's in the in the thing they didn't get a majority and no, that's no they, no no, no. Th- three on three occasions they did not get a plurality that's to say that the person who, who came second became oh i see what you're saying yes yes okay yeah. mm-hmm. yes so there were the, there were frequently other cases uh, where people who had less than 50 percent that they did not have a majority of the vote but uh, uh, of course that that's quite likely but i shouldn't criticize without making a a, a suggestion without saying what i think is a good idea and uh, recently there was an election for the mayor of London and there was, I think, six or seven candidates. And clearly with that number of candidates, it's likely that the, that uh, well, it's next to impossible for anybody to get a majority of the vote. But they had a very simple system is so that everyone who went and voted could vote for whoever they chose and then put a number two beside their second preference candidate. So that if you supported, as is in the UK, the Conservative or the Labour Party candidate, you could do that. But if you supported the Liberal Party or the the Green Party candidate, you could vote for that candidate and then say that your second preference was whatever they were. And all but the top two candidates are then eliminated, but those voters don't lose their vote. They Their vote is transferred to whoever they give their second preference to. And that guarantees that whoever wins has at least half of the vote. But it does something else as well that I think is very important. It means that the uh, and what you, I think it relates to what you're talking about having a broad appeal. No candidate can win by just appealing to a small hardcore of uh, very committed supporters. They have to make sure that they are popular enough and have popular enough policies that also appeal that appeal to at least half of the voters. Isn't that much preferable? Um, in a smaller uh, election, we could do that in the states, and in some some cases, uh, some states do uh, do things out, you know, uh, a little different. Some states have runoff. Some states take. Um, uh, do you know, the person with the plurality? Some states uh, say you have to get more than fifty percent, uh, mm-hmm. and if nobody does, then we do a runoff. And and mm-hmm. again, that, that's a very similar thing. The, the the number one pick of the people and the number two pick of all, uh, of the people in general get to uh, rerun for the uh, for the same thing. So um, that's that's one thing. If you want to runoffs for presidential elections, that would be a huge deal, I think. Um, 
The idea here and is to... London's an enormous city. It's got maybe 10 million people. If you can organize it for 10 million people, I guess you can organize it for 300 million. Mm, not sure how that scales exactly, but I mean, yeah, I, I, I run off in each of those, in, in every state, you know, that's, I, I think the idea here is to try to get that taken care of up front rather than, uh, than with a runoff. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, uh, no, no, in, in London, I should have clarified, the, the system is an instant runoff, so people go to vote only once, but as they vote, they indicate their first preference and also their second preference. In a two-party system, that doesn't help much. <laughs> it's at least when it comes to presidential elections. Um, and and there's and there's the rub. Do you have the system because you have a two-party uh, state, or do you have a two-party state because you have that system? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, there are some that say that it, it tends to the electoral college tends to uh, minimize the fringe uh, groups, although. It doesn't minimize them completely. I mean, we've had uh, a number of uh, presidential presidential elections um, seem to have thrown from one party to the other because of the introduction of a, of a third party. Mm-hmm. Um, even now, um, with uh, with Donald Trump running, uh, you know, some Republicans are considering, you know, opening up a third party. Uh, there, it's some even on the Democratic side with Hillary Clinton. We'll see. But mm-hmm. so there's a, there's a lot of a lot of those going on. But at least, but the idea here uh, that the um, uh, the founding fathers, one of the things that they uh, instituted this for was to create some sort of stability in the government. That a, you know, a parliamentary system. They had come from a parliamentary system. They knew what hold it was. Hold on, hold on. North Korea has a lot of stability in government. Is that really what we want? Stability and freedom, and uh, you know, stability is not an end in itself. Indeed, but. Um, but the but the idea of what kind of government they were going to have for this new nation in this new nation was mm-hmm. debated, and they I said they came from a parliamentary system. Uh, I know a lot of people uh, who have who've spoken about doing that. They wish the U.S. were doing that rather than uh, first past the gate. You know, whoever you know makes it first wins. Um, but That's to say somebody with a, 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 the largest single vote, but might not be a majority. But the, yeah, but the idea here was to, like I said, they had this idea. They saw what it was, uh, what uh, had happened, and in fact, originally early on, the idea was well, there, there was a kind of an idealistic thing where we're not going to have political parties. We, you know, we're beyond that. This invites corruption, and the office should, you know, seek the man. The man shouldn't seek the office. And then behind the backs of uh, everybody else, there's a lot of people. You know, jockeying for position with political parties, and so um, there, there is something of the, uh, uh, of the almost a necessity to kind of categorize uh, people rather than just, uh, you know, without a, without some sort of pigeonhole, I guess, to put them into. What do they stand for? What what's a, an easy way to find out what they uh, what they what they uh, stand for? But mm-hmm. the idea, I mean, if if we want a parliamentary system, that's a whole different uh, issue. But uh, but as far as the stability in the government as we have it now, um, it it we the the uh, the electoral college does tend to favor uh, the large parties and the large groupings in this case too. It doesn't have to be two. It wouldn't necessarily have to be that way, but it does contribute to uh, more of a stability. Oh, more it, of an ongoing. It does have to be true. No, I, I think it does have to be two because if you have in the system that the United States has, if there exists. Even three parties, inevitably two of them will be closer to each other than to the third. And the advantage of those two merging will vastly outweigh 
uh, any advantages they get from independence. Yeah, that's, and that's a very good point. And so, yeah, so it, it may in fact uh, uh, stabilize with you know, in, 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 in like a chemical reaction, it kind of stabilizes into a uh, an equal state, and we get a, we wind up with the two party system. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and even the, if the population votes, like with California, if if it is a more or Texas, if it is a more liberal or more uh, conservative area, the center of gravity will move. So you will have a roughly fifty-fifty split. So California and Texas might always vote for one particular party in the presidential elections, but they uh, uh, they still have competitive in-state uh, elections and national representative elections as well. Yeah. Yes, that's true. And so um, you get you get well, a, you get movement in this in the uh, uh, in the fabric of the country in terms of its governmental representation, but a little more slowly than you would uh, with uh, uh, with one where you'd had a whole bunch of uh, op- you know d- options there, and you'd have uh, less of a um, uh, a stabilizing influence. I think that was what uh, what the original uh, idea was for that. Yes, what, one reason I think that. Preferential voting and, and a popular vote uh, would be the correct thing to do is because I think that the purpose of an electoral system is to express the will of the electorate, not to bully the electorate into resignedly, reluctantly voting for a candidate that they don't really want to vote for. And I really get the feeling that that's what's happening. A lot of people who are enthusiastic for Bernie Sanders will roll their eyes and give a sigh and vote for Hillary Clinton. And a lot of people who uh, really don't like Donald Trump will roll their eyes and give a sigh and vote for Donald Trump. But wouldn't it be more just and more democratic if somebody could vote for the person that they truly wanted to vote for and then give a second preference to a candidate that they're not as enthusiastic about but would put up with? So political parties shouldn't have the choice of who they want to represent them. Sure, but, but the system bullies those parties uh, uh, into having into having one candidate each a total of two viable candidates i don't i don't see that as bullying i just see that as the natural uh result of uh creating a uh, you know like i said this kind of a stabilizing uh form of uh representation where we don't have uh, a lot of different um competing voices and as it is now people have a tough time uh, and it's it's not the government's fault, but it, people have a tough time deciding between two. If you had to decide between three, four, seven, um, it might be a little easier for some, but a lot of people would just throw up their hands and I don't know, uh, uh, and and vote for whoever I don't they think feel more stupid. popular. I I think I think people can if they can decide to vote for. Uh, in great detail who they want to win on the X Factor or America's Got Talent, then I think they can manage that in politics as well. I just want to finish with one thing. It's called the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact. And it's a proposal on how the uh, popular vote could be made effective without even changing the Constitution. The idea is that states can pledge that they will give all of their electoral votes to whoever wins the popular vote, but that only comes into effect if enough states sign that pledge in order to make a majority of the electoral votes, and that would uh, instantly change the system to a popular vote system. I'm guessing you're against that. Yeah, um, because it's basically a gentleman's agreement uh, to do that. I'm having a tough time seeing... Massachusetts, for example, saying, 
in spite of the fact that everybody, you know, 80%, let's say, 70, 60% of the people in our uh, state voted for Obama, uh, mm-hmm. since Mitt Romney got the most uh, popular votes in the rest of the nation, we're, we're setting our, uh, our uh, electoral votes to Romney. And I think you, that... You wouldn't trust them? Um, I think it would be very difficult for them to, uh, to, to exist past the next, their next election. Um, but if, if it people, was, if it was, if it was set up in state law, they could hardly change the law relating to the election after the votes are cast. If they do, and then, uh, yeah, like I said, state law can be changed by the next, uh, next convening of the legislature. I just, I just. Sure, but not retroactively. Not retroactively. Not, not retroactively, no, but they would have a, I, I said, they wouldn't necessarily have a tough time doing it then. They would be, their hands would be tied. Um, and, but then afterwards, they, you know, then you've, uh, I don't know, disenfranchised, uh, you know, most of the state of Massachusetts or Vermont because, uh, most of them, they voted for a guy and their state representatives now are saying, yeah, but our votes are going for the other guy because of what somebody else did. Doug Patton, presenter of the Consider This podcast, also presenter of Person of Interest podcast on goldenspiralmedia.com. Thank you very much for talking to me. Thanks so much. It's been wonderful. Make your view heard. Email podcast at challengingopinions.com to set out your ideas and defend them on the next podcast. That's all for the Challenging Opinions podcast published on May 5th, 2017. I have links in the show notes on the website to Doug's podcasts and references to other things we discussed in the interview. Do you know somebody who I should interview? What topics should I be covering? I'd really be interested to hear your feedback. If you like the podcast, there's one thing that you could do that would really help other people to find it. Go on iTunes, give the podcast a rating, and write a short review. There's a link on the website directly to the iTunes page. Also, please like the show on Facebook. On Twitter, you can follow the show at ChallengingO, and you can also follow Doug Payton at Doug Payton. And most importantly, subscribe to the show for free. You can use iTunes if you're an Apple person, or Google Play Music on Android. There's links for both of these, and an RSS feed if you still use that. And because I know that not everyone uses podcast software, a lot of you just listen on the website, so I have a new way to follow the show. You can enter your email address on the website and get a simple email with a link to listen each time a new show goes online, and zero spam, I promise. You can find all of those or get in touch with me at www.challengingopinions.com. Coming on Monday, that's May 8th, I'll have an interview with Chris Tatum. He's the presenter of the Cross-Examined Life podcast, and we're going to have a debate on the merits of legalized prostitution. The Challenging Opinions podcast is produced and presented by me, William Campbell. Thank you for listening. Thank you.